Welcome to this podcast hosted by Nadina Doherty and myself, Anskarellan, at the University of Sheffield School of Education. In this series of podcasts, members of the school and colleagues will be discussing their latest work and study in education. This series of thought-provoking podcasts will encourage a rethinking of taken-for-granted assumptions about the role of education in society, its mission and its effects. Have you got your coffee ready, Ansgar? I do. Okay, let's get started. Good morning, Ryan. How are you? Yeah, I'm not too bad, Nadina. How are you? Okay, I'm really good, thank you. Um, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you too. So just to let our listeners know, I'm speaking to one of my favourite PhD students, Ryan Bramley, in our School of Education. Um, And you are a third year PhD student with a working title of your thesis so far called in their own image social empowerment and active citizenship through community filmmaking in west yorkshire could you start by providing our listeners with a brief outline of your research interests and area please sure thing i promise as well to the listeners that i didn't ask nadina to say that i'm one of her favorites <laughs> i'm actually quite flattered that she would say that i'm so sure she said that to everybody on the podcast Not um, at <laughs> um yeah of course so um yeah thank you for the intro that was lovely and um yeah, so my PhD, um, as you say, um, in their own image, social empowerment and active citizenship through community filmmaking in West Yorkshire. It's a collaborative PhD project, which I think we'll probably talk about a bit more in a bit more detail later on about what that means and um, you know what the ramifications of that are. Um, but yeah, basically, um, my interest stems from. Um, not just the interest in media, so I'm, I'm formerly an English literature undergraduate and master's student here at the university, mm-hmm. um, so I became interested in film through that way, um, film studies, um, but then by extension from that became quite interested in um, community filmmaking, which is something that I wasn't even aware of mm-hmm. happening, certainly not in the UK before. Um, so people who essentially take it upon themselves to create media for their local community from the local community um, and the way in which they do that and the reason as well that's one of the main interests certainly for me coming into this project was you know why is it that people from a community would you know people who are not generally not trained up in journalism the majority yes. of people I've worked alongside during the placement haven't got any kind of professional training in journalism or media or anything they receive that whilst working for Kirtley's Local TV, which is the partner organisation for the PhD. Um, But yeah, and and yet find an interest in in producing these artefacts, be them, you know, little news pieces or short documentary films or whatever. Um, And so basically how that comes about and why they do it and and what they think uh, is the impact or, you know, the the, the effects of producing um, these stories for a community of their peers. Brilliant. So it can be picking up a phone and making a recording, as simple as that. They don't Absolutely. need high-tech cameras. It's, um, you know, KLTV, um, so they're based in Huddersfield, uh, it's a social enterprise, and um, they're quite fortunate as far as certainly alternative media or community film media um, units go. Um, they do have a, a host of professional equipment. Um, you know, they have a five-camera studio with a green screen. Wow. Um, you know, and all of this is stuff as well that they are constantly offering out to people in the community, you know, whether that's students, you know, college students looking for a work placement, university students looking to get their foot on the ladder, um, or just people are just interested in it, full stop. Um, but certainly 
there's not a, a snobbery, if you like, around the media. It can be just on a mobile phone or, or anything like that. It can just be on the fly. Okay. Um, I just want to go back a bit and just think generally. So um, a lot of prospective PhD students, so those still at master's level, frequently express not knowing how to come up with the perfect idea for a PhD proposal. And it seems daunting to go from quoting the work of others to coming up with an original idea. And of course, there's no such thing as the perfect idea. And throughout the PhD process, as we both know, it changes. <laughs> um, but how did you become interested in this area of study? It's, it's funny what you say about there being no perfect idea. I remember one of my old um, tutors back in English used to say there's two different kinds of thesis. There's the perfect thesis and then there's the finished one. Mm. The difference is the perfect one never gets handed in because it's it's an ideal, it doesn't exist. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, and because of that, especially when you're doing a, a project that's so long, like, like a PhD, um, you know, it will change naturally, especially when you're working outside of the university. You know, there are things outside of your control that shape it and adapt it and that as researchers you know we have a duty to not only respect and acknowledge that those changes are happening and change our own projects um, in line with that but also um, to realize that there is a cutoff point mm -hmm. for that um, so me becoming interested in this in this area of study um, very much started off with just a general interest in community media um, but certainly when I had my confirmation review um, about a year ago now, um, one of the big feedback points, I think it was, <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, I think it was actually in this room that we're having this podcast now. So all the trauma's coming back. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding, it was actually really nice. Um, but yeah, to actually see, I mean, that was, again, that was feedback that I had from other students who'd been through it as well, mm. is that, you know, don't see, yeah, okay, you are being tested for what you're doing here, but also see it as part of the learning process and one of the things that my reviewer said to me which I thought was incredibly helpful was Ryan you've got about 10 different projects that you're presenting here you're only doing one mm. which one is it that you're going to do um, and literally on the spot there and then I says well you know my main interest is in is in the people these volunteers the people who voluntarily come forward and want to make films in Huddersfield mm. you know in West Yorkshire um, and I've basically run with that ever since. Okay. Uh, so as a third year student, can you spend a few moments reflecting on what you're most proud of in this PhD journey? Yeah, I, I, I think definitely the fieldwork aspect um, has been the most rewarding. Mm -hmm. um, you know, spending time, so I've, I basically have spent 20 months, which is, which is yeah, I'm told is an incredibly long period to spend for a three-year PhD project, spending over half of that time in field work mode. Um, but that's the only way that I thought that, you know, for, from, from the beginning of the PhD, the only way that I thought they could actually produce something that becomes something akin to a collaborative project. The project is collaborative, but the actual thesis being collaborative was by spending time with this, with this organisation. And it's that time, it's the two days a week, it's the, you know, not, not, to, not to kind of brag about this or anything like that, you know, you don't have to go to the extent, I guess, that I've gone to. And there'll be other people who've gone to a further extent as well. But, um, you know, two days a week for 20 months, um, other than holidays, of course, um, going up to Huddersfield, two and a half hours there, two and a half hours back on, on you know, the buses and the trains from Sheffield, um, and spending time 
to get to know these people, um, not just because I want to obviously get some data. Yeah. I always talk about getting data for a project, but because I actually wanted to get to know these people, as I say, the people who, who my main research interest was in, um, not as research subjects, but as people to work alongside to get to know, people who've opened up to me on a personal level as well as a professional right. level. Mm-hmm. And the project is so important as well anyway, for the value of it, yeah. Well, I'd certainly like to, <laughs> like yeah. to, like to think so, and, um, and, and yeah, I think there's, you know, there's definitely others out there. Um, you know, certainly anybody who watches anything that KLTV produces too, um, I think um, can certainly see that mm. there's something going on here that's a bit different. Fab. So since we're in January, new year, new me <laughs> and all of that, um, what are your 2020 goals? Um, I'm not really one for resolutions, okay. um, but certainly coming back to what I said earlier on, trying to get this thesis done by the end of the year, certainly submitted by the end of the year and I think um, three months leeway, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to submit by the end of September but I'll allow myself three months leeway, so end of December, nice little Christmas present to myself, Absolutely. get the thesis in and move on. Very nice. So. What's been the most challenging aspect of undertaking a PhD programme? Because it really isn't just another set of assignments, is it? No, it's definitely not. And um, I, think, I think one of the biggest challenges is also one of the real privileges and luxuries as well at the same time of doing a PhD. It is that space that you're allowed mm. to do your own thing. Um, <laughs> and I'm seeing you nodding and yes. I'm like, yes. Um, <laughs> The problem with that is it's a double-edged sword because you then have to be more self-disciplined than you've probably ever been. Um, you know, I'm very fortunate to have a, an incredibly um, supportive supervisor in Andre Rozovsky, um, who you know allows me that space and time, isn't constantly watching over me, but also gives me the prod when I need it. Um, but certainly, driving yourself towards completing such a big, yeah. you know, project. Um, that's the most difficult thing for sure and actually you know yeah getting getting to the end of that and seeing it as a you know cliche I know but seeing it as a marathon and not a sprint you mm-hmm. know there are going to be moments where work is incredibly slow or it appears to be slow because you're doing a lot of thinking and maybe not a lot of writing um, but it will get there eventually. And the thought of looking again at the literature review that you looked at at the very beginning and then you have to change it and all those different tweaks you have to make, it's constantly evolving, isn't it? It is. And again, it comes down to that whole thing about, you know, the difference between the perfect and the finish. You know, you have to have a cut-off point somewhere. It's never going to be perfect. Um, A lot of prospective PhD students and even first and second year students are after tips for success, 10 top (laughs) tips and all of that. So... Things like how do I get through, how do I finish on time, how do I deal with X or Y that's happened. I'm sure we're all like that in some ways. Um, We all want to avoid the pitfalls. So what advice would you give to your first year self? (laughs) Um, Read and write. And I know that sounds really simple. Um, I spent the first three months or so of this project just feeling, again, because of that freedom all of a sudden, um, just thinking, what on earth do I do? Where do I, you know, where do I start mm. with this? Um, and actually, you know, setting yourself a schedule where you try and 
read something, maybe not even every day, but you know, make it part of the routine to read something. Make it part of the routine to write something, even if that writing something is just a few quotes from something that you're reading. Um, you know, my, my secretary supervisor over in um, English, Richard Simon Jones, um, suggested to me the other day, uh, we are, we're, I think we're both not really into the whole self-help thing. Um, so, you know, all the top tips, everything, you'll be able to write a book by <laughs> I'm sure. But, um, but certainly he was like, look, give this thing a go. And the idea he put to me was, you know, try and write, it's like a morning writing thing, try and write one page a day. And that page doesn't have to be for the thesis. In fact, if anything, there's, a, there's an encouragement to do something away from the face and do something for yourself that you don't ever really share with anybody. You just write something. It could be about anything. Mm. And, then, and that's the first thing you do when you wake up. And then if nothing else, you've got that to look back on. So even if you're still there at 12, 1 o'clock in the afternoon thinking, oh, God, I'm still staring at a blank page. Mm. Well, you know, you're reading something that's really not going in. Think back to what you did that morning and actually getting up writing down and actually quite often you find that you get to one o'clock and you have written something yeah. because you're already in the right mindset so yeah that that definitely for me I don't really seem too self-helpy but you know yeah. read and write nice other areas PhD students are concerned with are publications in the academic job market and dare I ask <laughs> <laughs> what are your thoughts on those would you like an academic career um, I'll, I'll answer the easy part of the question first. Yes, I do. Um, you know, we can we can talk for ages. I'm sure Nadina about you know the things that that get on his nerves about academia and the things that you know um, that maybe we want to try and change. Um, but actually, what I think we are allowed in here is is a space to be able to try and do that. And you find other people who are, who are sympathetic towards that too, and you find support. And I think you know. Granted, you know, it, that there are things about the academy that, that need to change. It should probably, probably change a long time ago. But being within that and trying to bring those changes about um, by having conversations, even like the ones that, you know, that, that we have, um, I think is the way to go with that. So, yes, I definitely want to carry on doing what I'm doing and trying to do um, in terms of publications <laughs> and the academic job market. I am... Um, yeah, I, it's it's difficult. It's a difficult one because there's a whole publisher perish thing. Um, I was speaking to somebody the other day who was saying, "Look, you know, you, you're constantly told by your supervisor that this PhD is the biggest thing, you know, and it's the biggest project you you've done up to then. It, it might even be the biggest project you ever do. Um, but if you come out with just that PhD at the end of it, and then you try and get a job, um, unless you've got something extra, be that." publications, you know, it could even be one or two really good ones, um, or something else that you've done alongside that enhances that CV, then that's what's going to distinguish you, because it is, it is competitive out there. Mm. And um, you, know, you, you know this yourself, it's, it's difficult to try and, try and make your way, um, especially when you know, you're, you're, you're competing alongside peers, and, and yeah. I know people who've gone for jobs against each other and stuff like that, and I know friendships that have broken down over it and all the rest of it, you know, it's, um, it's fierce out there, and yeah. you've got to try and find something that distinguishes you from that crowd. So, the PhD process is also about inducting oneself into the scholarly environment, so yes, looking at publications as well if you want an academic career, but there are other sides to being a PhD student and you're doing that with abundance and dedication through your student rep duties. 
at school and faculty level. So could you say a bit more about what that role involves? Yeah, of course. Um, so essentially, um, we have academic representatives from every programme within every department of the university, or at least we should do. Um, that's certainly what the Students' Union are working towards as well. Um, so you go for like an online training course, you, you train up on, on these things and then you, know, you essentially become a rep. Um, and the idea behind that is that you then become, you know, you, you are the, the mouthpiece, if you like, for, for the programme. Mm. Um, so, you know, as a PhD student, it's not just me on the PhD, there's, I the other day, there's about 200, I think, 200 students at the moment, um, active PhD students, um, full-time and part-time within the School of Education, um, both here and overseas. And, you know, especially, I think, for, for students who are studying abroad and things like that, you know, it's really difficult to try and get that student voice yeah. out there because there'll be things that are happening on a department and a faculty level at this university that are having an impact on, on their studies, mm -hmm. but they're not here to kind of represent themselves in that way. So having somebody within the department as a student who essentially works to try and represent those views, I think is really important. Um, and then beyond that, you know, become a faculty rep now as well. So as well as representing um, the PhD programme within the department um, at, fac you know, at like department student staff committee meetings. I also represent the School of Education as a whole, um, as, along with a couple of other representatives from the department at the faculty level too. Um, so the kind of things that we'll discuss as a department of reps will then get represented beyond at a faculty level and anything that can't be resolved within the department gets put to that level. So it's good, to, I think certainly for, for me, I didn't understand that all of this stuff went on behind the scenes, you know, and the kind of things that are needed to, to take place to, to bring about um, effective change. So um, certainly it's been eye-opening from that. From that angle, and if there's anything that I can do, I say this to, to any students I see in the department, you know, if there's anything I can do to even just be a mouthpiece or just be an advocate, um, whether that's an issue that um, is across the board or whether that's an issue that's just affecting one or two students, you know what I mean? If it affects at least one of us, then I think it's something that needs, you know, that, that's worth fighting for. How long have you been a rep? Um, I've only been a rep since October, um, so we've only had one uh, department staff student meeting up to now and one mm -hmm. faculty one um, so things are still yeah. moving but I hope by the end of the year you know we'll uh, we'll be able to look back and say right, we've, we've brought about some change here. Right. Let's go back to discussing your thesis. Oh do we have to? <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Put you on the spot yeah. like, a, like an examiner so. Um, <laughs> back, to, back to my confirmation review. Back to your review, again. back to the trauma. <laughs> um, what's the key aim of your thesis? Um, I wanted to, and I still want to, as I say, understand why people would want to become what we might call active citizens within a community um, and work for a non-profit social enterprise like KLTV, um, quite often on a voluntary basis. So, you know, they're not working for any kind of financial stability or anything like that. Um, and yet they're coming in. And, you know, we're not just talking about students here who are trying to maybe get a bit of media experience so they can go out um, in a similar way as an academic would, you know what I mean? Get that experience, get things on the board so then you can go out and get a professional job. Um, we're also talking about, you know, I've worked alongside full-time teachers who come in out, you know, after a full school day mm. and pick up a camera and start filming or interviewing people and things like that. So I really wanted to 
better understand because because you know, I felt this this passion as well with film. You know, I started. Um, you know, I, I would never. I'd be very reluctant to ever call myself certainly a professional filmmaker. I think I'm amateur at best, but certainly, I mean, maybe that's just modesty. I don't know, but certainly, I'm interested in using film um, for research purposes, definitely, mm. and. Um, to come across this group of like-minded people, but also come from a completely, utterly divided, you know, sort of diverse uh, range of backgrounds is, um, yeah, it, it's amazing. And to, to, to get to know what makes them tick and what brings them, not only what has brought them in to the organization, to KLTV in the first place, but what has kept them there, for some of them, for yeah. three, four, five years. Mm. Um, so that's, that's the key aim, certainly. Okay. And what can be gained from an educational perspective, um, from the actual films and media that they produce. And so it was 20 months that you were there mm -hmm. and you spent two days a week over that time period. That's right. <coughs> embedded there. Yeah, def definitely embedded, yeah. Um, and very much doing, for the majority of the time, doing what um, what people at KLTV do. Okay. You know, uh, from all aspects of of the organisation, you know, film editing, going out and doing vox pops with people on the street, um, you know, interviewing people for documentaries. So really uh, participant, you were really embedded, it wasn't just you on the side with a clipboard <laughs> or field note journal, no, you definitely. were doing what they were doing. Yeah, I made a figure as well to never kind of sit down and take those notes. You know, it's, it's difficult as a you know from an ethnography perspective. It's difficult when you're when you're on the train on the way back and trying to you know yeah. cover everything of significance that happened in a six, seven, eight hour day. Mm. Um, but I never wanted it to seem as if I was writing about these. And you know, I was never really writing about these individuals. Um, you know, there was always an idea that I would interview these people, which is what you know, which is one of the main outputs of the projects um, of the field workers actually interviewing and creating these short, you know, a series of short films um, where these people that have worked alongside have that opportunity um, to speak to the camera, to speak to me and to represent themselves. Um, even though I'm still the one who has the responsibility to edit those, so you know, I might have, I think I probably created about six, seven, eight hours worth of footage and the actual films that are put forward are about 45 minutes in total so mm. there's still a and I guess that's you know where the title in their own image comes in yeah. you know I'm trying my best to represent these people that I've been working with collaboratively but at the end of the day and this is another thing the confirmation with you has said you know this is your project you have you know, a PhD thesis might be collaborative in title but you'll be the sole author of it so you have that responsibility to do it you can't have Ten authors of a PhD thesis. Absolutely. So, at a research seminar here at the University of Sheffield, you suggest that your research is collaborative, and this word in the academy it sounds fantastic, but often can mean researchers gain access to participants or a place, extract all the information that they need, and then disappear into the night, never to be seen again. So, could you explain why you framed your research in this way, and the ways in which it was collaborative. Absolutely, um, I think I think that's spot on. You know, it's such a difficult thing, um, and 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 to have something as a collaborative project. I mean, that that's the way that it's framed by by the fund. Isn't it? That's framed that way by um, the White Rose Doctoral Training Partnership. Mm. Um, who, for anybody who doesn't know, you know, they fund my PhD, but they're part of the it's a consortium of the Economic Social Research Council. So, you know. 
this is a studentship, it's a collaborative studentship, you're working with this partner, um, go out and do it. Um, but as I've alluded to in, in, that, in that last response, um, you're still there producing the thesis yeah. on your own. And I think in that regard, um, I am always going to be, I say I, but you know, any, any researchers doing anything collaborative or co-production, you know, that's the other word that's put about a lot, you know, this drive towards doing something with people outside of the academy, working with um, people from the wider community um, in a way that both can benefit, but 99 times out of 100, it's the researcher that benefits more, it's the institution that benefits more. Um, so you know, I'm I'm getting um, a salary essentially, you know, a stipend to live off to do this project. Um, I'm getting, you know, hopefully becoming a doctor by the end of it and all the rest of it. What are the people that I'm working with getting out of it? Um, and certainly, that's one of the reasons why I really wanted to make this project about me going out there and doing as they do mm. and contributing in that sense. So you know, they've had me for 20 months, two days a week. Um, they've still got me as well to an extent. Um, you know, I didn't want to end the collaboration at the point of data collection. I wanted mm. to maintain a relationship with them. Obviously, I can't go there two days a week for the whole thing. Mm. I've got to write up, um, but I still go there once a month. Um, and, and again, you know, I'm going this Friday. Um, and it's not out of charity either. It's a recognition of what I've been allowed as a researcher, I've been allowed privileged access um, to this community of filmmakers, to this um, place of work, you know, or given a desk there, given access to um, camera equipment that I could never on my own afford, um, given training, that's the other thing I haven't even said yet, you know, given a, a wealth of film training. So I probably, you know, probably would actually be a bit more confident now to regard myself as a filmmaker because of that. So what this has done for me is massive. And what I'm trying to do in return is trying to balance the scales as much as possible, whilst also recognising, as I am going to do, and I've already written this as, as the kind of foreword to my thesis, recognising from, from the very earliest point that, unfortunately, I'm always going to be the one who benefits more from this. And that to kind of wave the flag for collaboration and co-production mm. as this kind of charitable and everybody wins thing, um, it's a bit of a misnomer. Um, it doesn't work like that. Maybe it should. Maybe it should as well, you know. Um, yeah. So what have been the institutional constraints then on collaborative working? Um, I think the first one... I think there's definitely... There's a, there's a, there's a power dynamic there, isn't there? When you go out... You're kind of in this liminal space as a PhD researcher because you're not quite within the institution yet. You know, you're going to have to do a PhD. You've not got a lectureship or whatever. Certainly, I haven't. Um, you know, I'm not a member of staff. All the rest of it. Um, but I'm going out there into the field and representing an organisation that has, to all intents and purposes, a very safe financial. You know, unless there's something I don't know about, a very <laughs> safe financial future. And then you're going to work with not on, but with an organisation um, like KLTV, which, although it's done incredibly well for itself, you know, the 2020 is, its, I think it's its ninth year of running, which for a community, or even just for a social enterprise, full stop, is a massive achievement. Um, but you're working with an organisation that is continuing to try to secure its future. So there's already a disparity there. 
Um, and certainly in the sense that I, even though, as I say, you know, I'm not on a massive salary or anything like that, but I'm getting paid essentially to go out there and do this project. Um, I'm funded to do it. And KLTV get no financial benefit out of that. You know, they're not being paid, um, despite the fact that they've given me all of this time. Um, time which they could have used mm. towards, again, trying to secure that, uh, that financial future for themselves. So to be able to achieve that in the first place, I think is, is you know, reflects, if you like, um, the relative success of the project because these people have, have seen um, something in what I'm trying to achieve here that they've invested themselves in. Um, I think the other constraint though is, is certainly from, and this is something that um, when you mentioned that research seminar, I called it walking the tightrope and this is what I tried to, to, to kind of address in that talk is that, you know, we talk about ethics a lot. Um, so, you know, whenever you, I've gone out, yeah, I've gone out and done this project and I had to do an ethical review beforehand, but that's something that I've kind of done, uh, making assumptions of the field before I enter it, because of course you can't go out and do it until you've got that ethical approval. So I'm making assumptions which might be narrow-minded, um, which might be, you know, kind of challenged when I actually go out and start interacting in that field and interacting with people in that field. Um, and those people don't get a say in that process. Or in most, certainly in my case, they haven't had a say in that process. Um, there's other things as well that I think, you know, so for example, a lot of what KLTV does um, is work, you know, interviewing people of ethnic minorities in the local community. The biggest project they did during my 20 months there was a, a heritage lottery funded project called Windrush the Years After. And, um, you know, for, for a PhD researcher to go out, or any researcher from the academy to go out, you know, you are, it's drilled into you from an ethical perspective. You know, you've got to get the consent first before you go and do the interview. Yeah. But then from KLTV, KLTV's perspective, um, you know, they're working, they, they have this understanding of the community that actually, you know, paperwork and things like consent forms, certainly when you're working with certain communities, take on a very different form. So you're going out and asking people of African-Caribbean descent to sign a consent form to an interview that they haven't done yet. So they're essentially giving you almost like a blank check in a way. And I know we always put that thing in the consent form so that you can withdraw consent, but you try again with that power dynamic in mind mm. to turn around to somebody who, you know, has just interviewed you for an hour or whatever mm. and say, oh, actually, I'm not sure I want you to use that anymore. I'm not sure I'm comfortable with that. You know, it's, I've never known anybody do that. Um, and they're certainly not in my experience, even if they've had misgivings about it. Um, so you look at that and then you're also bearing in mind, you know, the kind of cultural and social context of it, where, you know, you're giving out these consent forms to people who, you know, some of the, genuinely some of the people that we were interviewing for this Windrush the years after project had also been given paperwork from the Home Office saying they've got 10 days to leave the country. People have been living here for 34, even 50 years. Mm who were brought over as, as young children, um, not told by the British government, I'm mean, getting political here, but you know, not told by the British government to, to get any paperwork, they don't need it, you know, they're British citizens, you know, they're coming in from, from the colonies and all the rest of it. And then I told after 40, 50 years of contributing to this country socially, culturally and economically, that they need to go back home to a place that they've never, you know, never lived or never, you know, have no recollection of living in. Um, so you look at that and then all of a sudden you're going out as a researcher and say, yeah, but I need you to sign this. Mm. 
Do you know what I mean? So I don't always think that... I, I certainly... I'm not saying that there isn't a need to get consent. There absolutely is a need to get consent. But KLTV's way of doing it quite often is get the consent either verbally if you can or, and even if you, you, know, you do get it verbally, get it after the interview is done because they know the content of what they've given you. Give them a chance to see what they've given you as well. Have a look at, you know, watch it back, look at the film. You know, when we when we launched, we did the first screening of Windrush the years after, and we were going to do a big public, and we did do a big public one at the University of Huddersfield. Uh, you know, we invited the press and all the rest of it. It was a really lovely evening. But about a month or so before that, we had a private screening. It was a smaller lecture theatre. It was still at the university. And the only people invited were people involved either behind the camera, so filmmakers like ourselves, or in front of the camera in terms of interviewees. And we got feedback from them in terms of, you know, what they thought of it, whether they were happy with it, whether there's any changes we should make. And then we changed the film in line with that feedback. And that's what I mean about that kind of, that kind of longitudinal yeah. ethics process, that consent process. You're not just, you know, it's all well and good saying I got a signature for somebody. Yeah, but again, coming back to this theme of collaboration and co-production, how invested is that person in what you're doing? Have they really understood what it is you're trying to do? Um, have you represented, again, in their own image, have you represented them in a way that they would like to be represented themselves? Um, these are all the kind of constraints that have, that have come up against whilst trying to do this project. And this is what I mean by the whole thing of walking a tightrope. I feel like I'm constantly trying to appease both sides. Um, and I don't think they're necessarily a congruent in that respect. So I'm just wondering if there's anything the institution can do about it then? Um, that's something that I'm really trying to, to think about at the moment as well. And I'm, I'm working with, um, so Milton Brown is the CEO of, of KLTV. Um, he's also a PhD researcher himself. And um, I'm, I'm in talks with him at the moment. We're actually putting in a bid this week um, for, for the UREC, so Univers I always forget the name. <laughs> University Research Ethics Committee. Um, at the University of Sheffield, uh, we're putting in a small bid to try and do an activity around our experiences of working with one another. And it, I'm seeing it as kind of my attempt to try and bring forward these kind of things that happen on the ground level, but are quite often not heard at a departmental level or at a faculty level within the institution. Um, so we're looking at creating a short film and also um, from that putting together some kind of discussion based uh, journal article uh, that tries to get this case out there um, and hopefully um, starts to encourage people to think more about things like best practice when it comes to, to co-production. So where I haven't really been able to succeed in terms of co-productive practice, in terms of giving KLTV any kind of you know, financial benefit mm. from doing this project, because that's you know, the PhD funding is all for for me, even in terms of tuition or in terms of a living stipend, what we're trying to achieve with this UREC bid is, is trying to get a bit more parity in that regard. Um, so actually doing a project where um, we split the money between ourselves. So, you know, the money that comes in is, we're talking a small bid here, a very small bid. Um, but for the time work towards this, you know, that would be split between myself and between Milton and KLTV. So you'd actually have some kind of financial parity there. You would still argue that I would probably stand to benefit more from that collaboration than KLTV would as a whole. But certainly, 
you know, looking to not only put forward um, something that the institution could hopefully recognise and listen to and, and make changes based on, based on our own experiences, but also then within the confines of that little project, doing something that is also co-productive in and of itself too. Um, so that's certainly one way that I'm thinking at the moment of trying to trying to get into. So this, but this is just you know this is just one case. This mm -hmm. is just one example, and I think certainly there will be others out there and other, and other people interested in things like co-production stuff like that. Um, and if there's any way that we can kind of bring those people together and their community partners as well and try and work towards this, then I think that would be fantastic. So what's next for soon to be Dr. Bramley? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, obviously, get the thesis done, going to yep. become the doctor. Um, but between now and then, um, I'm actually also in the process of applying for an overseas institutional visit to go to Melbourne. Okay. Um, <laughs> we are just nice. drop in there. Yeah. Um, so to, to do a visiting fellowship at Swinburne University, um, which has a fantastic department for media and communication. And um, yeah, basically they do a lot of work around film and using film as a, as a you know, practice as research, um, but also have done a lot of community-based films and a lot of collaborations and co-productions with people in the wider community. Um, I was over there for, for a working holiday actually a couple of months ago. I was fortunate enough to get invited to a film screening um, and it was a film made with um, indigenous, you know, first Australians. Yeah. Um, and it was fantastic and it was, you know, it really, that, that, for me, seeing stuff like that and, and opening up my understanding, because I don't know nearly enough about um, what happened in Australia. And certainly, is, you know, that should be something that I should know more about as a Brit, as somebody who, you know, granted, is not personally responsible for the atrocities that happened over there and still continue to happen in certain areas of Australia. Um, but is is a descendant of those who who went over and you know and oh gosh murdered thousands and explored, thousands Ryan, of explored. explored sorry sorry explored <laughs> probably got to cut this bit out as well um i was watching a film actually um from the 80s yesterday um called the secret country and um yeah the, i found it really interesting in the intro the guy who's a, who's a white australian himself um you know, presents it by saying yeah you know the british would say um, settled mm. um, and the first Australians would say invaded and you know the power of that language and everything mm. but, but that for me is the importance of, 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 of film and that's something that film can do um, that a lot of things like our, you know certainly our academic journals and articles maybe can't achieve certainly not on its own um, so yeah what's next for me hopefully fingers crossed go back over to Melbourne um, and spend a couple of months working inside these fantastic researchers and, uh, and yeah, expanding my horizons, as it were. Yeah, lovely. Well, all the best with it. And thank you thank so you. much for your time. Thank you very really much. Really appreciate it.